We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. Give you a quick heads up. There is going to be an offer that I'm going to give you later on in the podcast from my bookie for UFC 277, which we're just a few days away from. So listen to that. And don't forget mybookie.ag and mybookie.com and use my promo code Kevin DC, uh, and you'll get a great offer. Uh, But more on that offer coming up at the end of the show. A quick heads up. Uh, I am going to be taking some vacation time uh, this month uh, before the football season begins in earnest. We do have training camp opening up tomorrow. Uh, So this week, there won't be a podcast on Thursday this week. More likely than not, there will be one tomorrow. I'm going to be out of town, Tommy, um, tomorrow and Thursday, but I think I can record a podcast later today after, by the way, Ron Rivera's pre-camp press conference. So I'll do something later today that'll be out tomorrow morning. And then I am hoping to do a podcast with you on Friday. I did ask you uh, yesterday about your availability on Friday. Will you be available to do a pod on Friday? I don't know. Why I'll don't... let you know. What What does that mean? Well, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, when are I you... don't know if I'll be able to do Friday. Well, when are you going to be able to tell me? I will be able to do Friday. When can you tell me? Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I don't know, Thursday. Well, that doesn't give me enough time to prepare for your absence. Oh, God. You need, you need, actually, you need more than a couple of days to prepare for my absence, buddy. So. <laughs> well, really, yeah, if you, if you don't say so yourself. Yes. I, 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 do, uh, I do need more than look, one day. To prepare. I think it's likely I will, but, you know, I mean, I'm on vacation, okay? You're, well, you're always on vacation. Yeah, but I'm really on vacation this week. <laughs> I'm down in Wildwood Crest. I'm going to the beach. I'm going dancing. I'm going partying. I'm I, I, I'm playing miniature golf, miniature real golf. people's game. Right. Yes. Um, I yeah. I know you're on vacation, and so you can simply say, I can't do Friday. We're going to be at the beach. I'm on vacation, and that's fine. But to say I don't know, I know yet, I feel, I feel, as if as if it's worth it for me to hang all week long, just in case 
just in case you can do it on Friday instead of Thursday, is, you know, typical highbrow stuff from you. I can't state it better myself. It is worth your while to wait for me (laughs) to determine if I could do it. You just said it exactly. Uh, you know I'll wait for you. It's fine. You you know what you can do? You can tell me on Friday. You can tell you can send me a text Friday at 11 a.m. and tell me if you're ready or not. That's fine with me. Um, training camp starts. Don't I usually don't don't I usually post? You always post actually. And by the okay, way, so I think and when you I do, think I will be able to be to do it. And when you don't post, what happens? Do I behave as if you've posted? No, you're very generous with with uh, those times I don't post. Right, and you rarely don't post. You yes. are always there when you need me. It's always been the case over the years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I we're gonna do a, a late week show. I'm I, I may record a show later today after Ron Rivera's press conference because he has a pre-training press conference. So I might do something later on today or early tomorrow morning before I leave, and so you'll have a, a podcast tomorrow. There won't be one on Thursday, but there might be one on Friday. And if I do one on Friday, I hope it's with Tommy, um, and I'll wait for Tommy. And if it's not for Tommy, then it'll be with somebody else. There you go. Or, Let me ask you, can, what? Can, can you do the podcast from your yacht on Friday? Um, I, man, I mean, we're going to be out there a ways. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, my yacht. Oh my God. How many of you, by the way, got into the back and forth between Tommy and I over golf this weekend? People loved it. They called it Sports Fix 3.0. I love the people who would, would, would say, let me, I got to find it here. I'm not going to be able to find it right now. Um, you guys, you guys really need to lay off of each other. You're way above this, and we enjoy listening. But but this is beneath you. You know the back and forth, as if like we're really angry with each other. I know. Um, you know. I know. I, I can't help it. It's all time. an ego thing. It's an ego thing just to say I'm right, you're not. Yeah, I it mean, has nothing to do with personal feelings. In this particular case, you, you, not that you would ever admit <laughs> it, because what you do is you just pivot and you move the goalposts and you change the conversation. But you were pretty there much you go. wrong. You see, there's there's Kevin. You were pretty Kevin much Ego wrong. stepped up right there. <laughs> well, I, no, I wasn't. I was exactly right. Your position was indefensible. That golf is some kind of common man's game. That that's indefensible. No, that's actually not um, what the argument that's was about. And again, no, no, I I actually, by the way, um, I went back uh, and listened to the beginning of our conversation. I wasn't going to listen to the whole thing, um, but the conversation wasn't about economics or anything. You made the comment on the show that day last week. After I got all excited about the British Open, which I was, I was very excited. I thought it was an exciting sporting event. And you were incredibly dismissive of how exciting uh, I thought the golf was that led you to say the following. When it comes to golf, 
I just see rich white men who live on country clubs their entire lives, and you used an ex- an expletive their entire fucking lives was what you said to really emphasize. And the conversation primarily was you saying you pretty much have to belong and be super rich and an elitist and belong to a country club to play golf, and that drives you crazy. And I said, well, that's not well, true. Here's, here's the thing. That's not first, true at all. First of all, that's what the first argue, of all, that was it. The, con- the, con- the conversation started because you got upset with me that I wasn't more uh, excited about the That's British right. Open. I just, I Not just that said, you were excited about it. You you were upset that I wasn't more excited very, about it. Very good that memory. There was something wrong with me. Very good memory. That I, I should be more interested. Well, no. So, so uh, basically, no, no, you no, no, put no, it on no, 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 that you didn't watch the golf and you didn't embrace the golf and you didn't realize what a great, exciting sporting event it was. I was upset that you didn't trust me and you were dismissive of me saying it was an exciting event. And what I said to you was, you know, over the years, I've had a lot of trust in you. When you share something with me about this is really worth your time, you would really enjoy it, I tend to trust in you, even though we don't have the exact same taste, but you know mine and I know yours. And when it comes to sports or television or whatever, and I said, when, when, I, when you say something like I said about how excited I was about golf, I tend to trust that there probably was something there that I missed. When I do it, you're incredibly dismissive as if, nah, you're wrong. I would never have enjoyed that. That's what started the conversation. I was upset well, that you didn't have the same level true. of trust in me that I have in you. It is true. You don't have the same it's level not, of trust it, in me. It's not blind trust, Kevin. If, if, if you sit there and say, something was really great, you should have seen it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, you're probably right. I didn't say. It's my bad. I didn't say, <laughs> I didn't say for you to say that. I, I said, what, you're you're very condescending and dismissive of it, as if there's no chance that you were right not to see it, and you were right that you wouldn't have been interested in it. Where I, typical of our relationship, am a little bit more open-minded oh when it comes to God. things that you talk about, and I trust that what you're saying, yeah, I might be interested in that. I might. I might. Look at Kevin Sheehan, the open-minded man of the people. Yeah, there's no doubt that they, between the two of us, I'm much more open-minded uh, than the person that has a list who cancels people on a regular basis. But no, what the primary discussion was about was you, be- you believing that people who play golf primarily play it on private courses as very rich white men. And I said to you, that's not true. Most golf is played on public courses. Now, I didn't have all the data in front of me, but I do now. Um, And 9 out of 10 golfers who play golf play on public courses. 75% of the golf courses in this country are public courses. Now, how many of those golfers are rich and elitist? Well, I would suggest to you not very many of them. If 9 out of 10 are playing on public courses instead of joining private clubs and playing. 
So on the actual core argument, you were not only wrong, you were loud wrong. Loud wrong. Now, on the white part, you may have been, you know, you may have been, you know, closer to the truth. Okay. For one thing, I, I thought I thought you could understand the depth of, the, of what I was saying. I mean, what I was saying was golf is an elitist sport. That's the essence of what I was saying, and it is. So I was absolutely right in what I was saying. All these public duffers that you talk about, uh, you know the average annual income of a golfer in America is over $100,000 a year. And that's elitist? That's not the people's sport. <laughs> that's elitist? What? That's elitist? No, well, it, 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 it tends to show. You don't need $100,000 no, no. a year to go play I, basketball. I, I, I comprehend what you're saying. Elitist is wrong, too. All right, rich and elitist and country club only is wrong. You're wrong about that. You are right, and I looked up the data on the percentage of people who are white who play golf versus other races. The significant majority of golfers are white. Um, but rich and elitist and private school memberships, no. You were dead wrong about those three things. Dead wrong. That that was not my point. My point oh, is elitist, okay. and it is an elitist sport. No, it's not an elitist it, sport. It costs, it costs a lot of money to play golf. You know what? We didn't have a conversation about the economics, but if we are going to have a conversation about the economics, what would you define as elitist in terms of average income? I would say that over $100,000 gives you a, a basement as to how much money you need to play golf. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. I'm not even going to address that. But that wasn't the question. The question was, what level of income do you think is required before somebody would be described as a rich elitist? What's that level of income? Okay, I'd say two hundred grand. Okay, so you're basically refuting your no, argument. No, that was the average. average. The average. Well, that actually, was the average. actually, you tweeted that the average was eighty thousand. I didn't look that up. Yeah, but, but that I, was ten years ago. <laughs> I found another study five years ago that it's a hundred thousand. But now. I can. But I it's can probably tell. Probably one hundred and fifty thousand. I, I can right tell now. you this: two hundred thousand dollars is not rich and elitist. Not in a place like where we live in the Washington D.C. area. Um, well, you see, I understand we live in a bigger world than Washington, D.C. Yeah, I know. I know how sophisticated and worldly um, you are. Um, anyway. Uh, when, when I go play miniature golf yeah. uh, later on this week, I guarantee you that's not an elitist sport right there, baby. Well, I don't even think it's a sport, is it? I don't think golf is a sport for oh, that Oh, damn, I was just going to say, we finally got the admission from game. Tommy through this argument that's, that golf is actually a sport. Because for many years it's you tried game. to make it out to be not a sport. Um, it is a okay. game. Enough of you on this. Um, you know what I might have to do, actually, in the future? When we are, if we if we ever prepare for any of these arguments, which we never do, I might have to, in my agreement with you, uh, put an independent study addendum in there and require you to do some homework before a show. Oh my God, have you ever seen a story or a contract like this? 
Uh, apparently not is the answer. I mean, I'm wondering how many things are in contracts with football players. We're talking about Kyler Murray, and we'll get to I'll, – I'll, I'll tell you the story here in a second. I am sure there are things in contracts that we would all be blown away by, you know, where teams have a sense of the kind of person they're dealing with, and so they put certain things into a contract. But if you haven't followed this story over the last, you know, 12 to 18 hours – Kyler Murray, if you recall, last week signed a contract extension that was worth $230 million. Um, But it wasn't the Deshaun Watson deal. Not that I personally think Deshaun Watson deserved that deal or that Kyler Murray deserved the deal. $160 million of it was guaranteed. There was some, you know, criticism that he didn't get the same deal that Deshaun Watson did. Um, But, you know, there's still, Tommy, very few guaranteed contracts in the NFL. The Watson contract is an outlier. The Kirk Cousins started all this, by the way. Um, But here's the story. Kyler Murray's recently signed contract extension included an addendum that requires him to study film for four hours per week during the season to stay in compliance with his new contract. The clause is labeled independent study addendum, and the reporting on this has the following. It's an ESPN reporter, the John Keim equivalent. There's also the NFL Network that's reported on this. Ian Rappaport put out the actual addendum if you want to read it. But according to the contract, Murray needs to study, quote, material provided to him by the club in order to prepare for the club's next upcoming game. Murray will receive credit for completing his film study, according to the contract. However, the addendum states the time Murray spends in mandatory meetings studying, you know, meaning at the facility with, you know, the team and quarterbacks and offensive coordinators, that does not count. And that Murray won't receive credit if he does not personally study the provided material in good faith. The addendum also spells out that Murray will not get credit if he's not studying or watching the material while it plays out on his tablet, they all have the Microsoft tablets, Um, or if he's doing something that can distract him or draw his attention elsewhere while the material is playing, such as playing video games, watching TV, or browsing the internet. Failure to meet the addendum's requirements will mean Murray will be deemed to be in default of his contract. Uh, it's written, teams routinely put clauses in contracts that, are, that require players to attend off-season workouts, reach certain weight goals, or other tangible goals. But it's believed that this clause, requiring a player to study more outside of team meetings, is unusual, if not unprecedented. What do you think of this? Well, my question, one question that comes to mind is, do you think that that Kyler Murray realized how embarrassing this would be when they agreed to it? I mean, because it is, it's public, it's a public embarrassment. Well, I'm sure... It basically says you're a child. Yeah, it says you're lazy. It says you don't yeah. work at it. Yeah, it's, it's a public embarrassment. I wonder if he realized it. Uh, when they agreed to it. And uh, I wonder if his agent knew the blowback that would come from something like this. 
I mean, this is, this is, how, how do they enforce it? I mean, yes. you know, what if, what yes. if he just doesn't get it after, after the four hours of study? What if he just doesn't get it? What if he tells the coach, look, I, I studied it, I just don't get it. Let's let me run around back there. <laughs> let me do my thing. Right. <laughs> There's so much to this story because, for me, you, you said something, and I want to come back to it. Like, how do they actually, you know, enforce it? How do they audit, you know, this? Um, he made a comment, by the way, in a story in the New York Times that was pulled up uh, by many on the Internet last night where um, he I- admitted that he doesn't spend extensive time watching film because, quote, I'm blessed with cognitive skills to just go out there and just see it before it happens, closed quote. That quote made me think so much about you because that's pretty much what you do with every, every show. There's no preparation. You're just relying on your cognitive skills to just go out and wing it. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, I mean, this is an indication of just how quarterback desperate this league is that you would sign this guy and you would commit to this guy what you committed when you know that he doesn't put in the work, that he doesn't put in the kind of work you think is necessary for him to be the best player he can be. I mean, you had to put it into an addendum. You know, this is where, you know, like with Dan Snyder's history, I've always suggested that any coach that signs here has to put it into the contract that Dan cannot interfere. And if he does, you get paid double the amount of the contract as you're on your way out. Like they are telling this guy, you don't do it the way we do it. We're not happy with the way you work and prepare, but you're just so talented and without you, we just don't have a chance to be very good. And, and you running around there totally unprepared and winging it and improvising, which really is, you know, three-quarters of his game is, you know, improvising. Yeah, that's what they're paying him for. Right. Yes. You know, and um, so with that understood, like, I don't know that I would have ever put it into the contract and put him into a position where he could be embarrassed like this. You know, I don't, I don't know how it got leaked. I'm sure the anticipation wasn't for it to get leaked. Although, you know, although these contracts, Tommy, right, they are a matter of, I think they're, well, they're accessible by any member of the NFLPA. I know that. You know, like our good friend J.I. Yeah. Halsell has access to read through every yeah. single line item of any contract of players in the NFL. But I think if I'm the team, I either choose to move on from him because I don't think he's going to put in the work to become the greatest he can become, or I don't put that in there and then I just continue to try to work with him, you know, as an individual. <clears throat> you know, remember he wouldn't he refused to go back into that playoff game that he played so poorly in that he he and the entire Group. I mean, Kingsbury, the head coach, looked completely overwhelmed and unprepared for that playoff game against the Rams. And they asked him to go back into the game at the end, and he refused to. He's not apparently very, you know, a much, he's, not, he's not got great leadership skills, and he's been described very much as an introvert. Um, but, you know, introvert and not studying and not being prepared for games are two totally different things. They're yes. just desperate. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. 
I mean, that, that the fact that, that it's, uh, the leagues are so desperate, not just for quarterback play, for a certain type of quarterback play. I mean, do you think they would do this for, who's the quarterback for the uh, Texans? Davis Mills? Is that his name? Yeah, well, um, no, they wouldn't do that for Davis Mills. Of course not. No, but, but Davis Mills is a good quarterback. Yes. Okay, but, but, but he's not that kind of quarterback. That, no. that, that improv, improvising quarterback, that run-around quarterback, that, that can create plays with his legs quarterback that the league is just so infatuated with. Well, I mean, there's lots of ways that, you know, there, there are lots of different styles of, of the really good quarterbacks in the league, and this is one of them. You know, it's the one in which your quarterback is just a flat-out playmaker. You know, he, yeah. he he may not be able to diagnose pre-snap or post-snap what's going on, and because of his preparation, he's not ready for the other team, but he's still such a phenomenal athlete and such a great playmaker that the results are more favorable than not favorable. I mean, this this guy has gone to two straight Pro Bowls. He was the Rookie of the Year in 2019. Um, now, he, his overall team's record is actually a losing record with him as a starter, 22-23-1. And, and he's played in one playoff game, and that was last year, and he was horrendous in that game. There's no other way to describe the team and his performance in particular. But my God, has he made some plays over in the three years that he's been in the league that you know only two or three guys can make? Yes, yes. And that's the kind of quarterback that everyone's desperate for. I don't like that him, Tommy, as a quarterback. I'm, I'm not. I'm a much bigger Lamar Jackson fan. Like in this kind of style of quarterback, and he's not really a Lamar Jackson style. They don't, they don't run their offense the way Baltimore does. Um, I've, he's, he has looked to me tiny. Um, you know, it's so funny that this story came about because I've said about him in the past, there are times where he clearly isn't sure what's going on and he starts moving backwards and he just starts running around all over the place. And by the way, half the time or maybe more than half the time, the play ends up being a positive play because he's so gifted off schedule. But I don't know. There's something about him. I loved him coming out, but there's something about him in the last, you know, year and a half watching him. I'm like, I don't know about him. You know, people thinking that he's potentially, you know, going to be an elite quarterback. I, I don't know. And now hearing this, you know, you're still in better shape than half the teams in the league at the position, which is why they're probably willing to put up with it. But I don't know how much you're going to, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would have put it uh, back to the contract. It's going to be hard to audit. It's going to be hard to track. I know these Microsoft tablets. I know they, they're able to track what's done on those tablets with those players. But that doesn't mean at home he can't put on what they'd send him and hit the pause button every once in a while and hit the rewind button three or four times, all the while watching Ozark, you know, um, or playing video yeah. games. Uh, it's going to be hard yeah. to actually – you know, enforce this unless they test him, unless they come in and say, yeah. we need you here early because we're going to test you on the material that we sent you last night. Well, I think they would know uh, in, in the, in the uh, quarterback room film study you know, that they do in the, in the building that they would know who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. 
Uh, I think they could, they, they could be able to figure it out for themselves. I think their best look. I think their best chance uh, was just to gamble for maturity, not put this in and just say, you know, he is he's only in the league two years. He's still pretty immature. Uh, you know, um, maybe maybe the maturity will kick in in the next two years because he is still young. He's only been two years. Yes, yes, he's he's well, he's played three years now. He's twenty four. Okay. He's, he's exceptionally young, and there's no doubt, and you can see this going back. Remember, there was a bit of a red flag in the interview that he did with Dan Patrick. It was Dan Patrick, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was the baseball, football thing, but the father was just off camera or offset, and there were certain yes. questions that, like, he didn't want to answer. And I, I think, you know, in reading a little bit about him in his first three years, he's definitely a quiet, shy introvert, which could explain a lot of that stuff. But yeah. th- but that's separate from work ethic and preparation for your profession. Yeah, I think, I think that they would have been better off just hoping for maturity than thinking they can they can write it into his contract. I th- I don't think that's gonna that's gonna work. I mean, again, I mean, if if it, if if they find that he's not doing the work, are they going to really enforce it? Well, what are they going to do? I mean, how how are they going to enforce it? Right. And how's that going to go over? Well, you said, and it's true. They'll know, but will they know because they can prove he wasn't studying the material four hours a week, or because he wasn't getting the material? I mean, it's possible that the extra work he puts in that he may not be able to he might not get yeah. it still. I mean, that would Yes. So I yeah. I don't I don't How know. How can you tell the difference? It's it, You know, how can you tell the difference between a guy who doesn't get it and a guy who just didn't try? Yeah, you can't, really. Well, you can tell the difference, you just can't prove what the dif- what yes. the difference was. And that's what you yeah. need to do in an employment case if you're trying to say that he's in default of the contract, in material breach of the contract. I, I, I think the whole thing's interesting because nine times out of ten, if you've got a quarterback like that, there's no way you're giving him that contract last week. No way. But he's so gifted and so unique, and it's so hard to find somebody that – even with 50% preparation, produces the kind of plays and the results he produces that you're like, well, what are we going to do if we don't have them? And that's the league with quarterbacks. That's why Kirk Cousins got a guaranteed contract, the first ever in NFL history, because he's better than most of the options that the Vikings had. The Cardinals are not a good organization either. Okay, they haven't proven to be. Right, they're just not a good organization, too. They don't have a track record of of intelligent decision making. Um, yesterday I read from the Athletics uh, quarterback list, which is one of my favorites each year because there are lots of anonymous quotes from league coaches and execs, and I read everything about Carson Wentz. I'm going to read it to you, too, uh, here in a moment, because he got ranked 20th in this one. I'm telling you, I saw that. Carson Wentz, he should have, he's got a full locker of material to incent 
protect him, you know, in, for this upcoming season. I mean, the odds makers don't believe in him. None of the lists that are created believe in him. The Madden ratings, none of it. Nobody believes that he is going to be successful in Washington. And if you can find those people, they are few and far between. But real quickly on Kyler Murray, who ranked as a tier um, two quarterback, uh, but the 13th best quarterback in the NFL. Um, There's a quote here. I thought about moving him down to tier three because of the meltdown in the playoffs against the Rams. By the, so, by the same token, he's talented, he's athletic, he runs around, he extends the down, makes plays with his feet. It's difficult because, because he's not a big-bodied guy, and that shows up at times. I think he's a wide receiver mentality playing quarterback. Things have to be a certain type of way for him to have success. And being more of a loner or introvert at that position is tough. You know, we've heard that a lot, you know, the whole you've got to be, you've got to have the leadership. You've got to be the leader. And yet we've seen success from players who haven't been the extrovert or the obvious leader of the team. Um, You know, I mean, the the one that just pops to my mind right away. I mean, Joe Flacco was not the leader of the Baltimore Ravens. Ray Lewis was, you know, it was a defensive player. Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were. And yet Flacco got as hot as any quarterback can get in a postseason, and they won a Super Bowl. You know, uh, there there are and and had you know a decent career with very good playoff games and playoff success. I mean, there are more I could come up with if I thought about it for a moment, but that's a pretty amazing story. So uh, let's get to training camp, which opens up tomorrow. I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, and a couple of thoughts, including something that John Kime wrote about uh, that I did not know and I don't think many of you knew either. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Uh, this podcast continues to be a very highly uh, rated uh, podcast, specifically in the football category, not just here in the U.S., where it shows up regularly uh, in the top 20 of all of this nation's uh, football podcasts, uh, and occasionally, by the way, in the top 10. Uh, but we are this week, Tommy, number two in Bermuda. We've dropped a spot in Bermuda. We're number five in Jordan. Um, and we made our debut in Denmark at number 10 on the football podcast list. Um, I've heard that Denmark is a lovely country. Um, my son's best friend from high school is Danish, and my son went and visited him uh, a few years back and loved Copenhagen or Copenhagen, however it's pronounced. Uh, we've got some really good reviews coming in, and don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify from Big Dave, who gave us five stars on Apple. Hello from Jacksonville, Florida. Have listened for years. Tommy and Kevin are fantastic. Thank you, Big Dave. Uh, thanks to Thank Terp, you, Dave. Thanks to Terps fan who loves the show. He's listening also from the state of Florida. Uh, moved to Florida 10 years ago. Would have been lost without you, Lovey, and Cooley. I had spent my uh, my work life listening to 980 to keep me sane on my hour commute each way. I lived in Montgomery County for 66 years, Tommy, and grew up as a huge Redskins fan back to the Eddie LeBaron days. And Terps fan as well. I listen to the best podcast I le- I've listened to every day. Um Thank you, uh, Terps fan, uh, for that review. Keep them coming. Five stars, quick review, really helps us um, with our back-end advertising selling to have these positive reviews um, and ratings. Uh, The advertisers love the number of people that listen to the show. That's very attractive to them. But your ratings and reviews really indicate the loyalty, um, and the level of interest in listening to the show. And we're, uh, we're appreciative of all of those. Um, so, uh, I wanted to mention this real quick, uh, item from John Kime. He wrote that, um, you know, one of the storylines heading into commander's training camp is kind of running back, you know, in the fact that they drafted Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson is there. And I've been mentioning for a while now that I I like Antonio Gibson. I think Antonio Gibson has star potential, like elite running back NFL potential. Now, he can't keep fumbling. If he does that, you can have him on the field, and I understand that. But he's 6'2", He's 225, 230 pounds, and he runs a 4-3-40. And we've seen flashes of brilliance from him. We've seen him in the in open spaces be impossible to catch. We've seen him between the tackles pound people and run people over. I like Antonio Gibson a lot, but all of the analytics people said, 
uh, he leaves a lot of yards on the field. I didn't see that last year, personally. That was my view of it. Um, but they drafted a running back, Tommy, in the third round, which tells you that they have some concerns about Antonio Gibson. Judge them by their actions, yeah. not their words. And Scott Turner told Ben Standing, and I read it yesterday, that he really thinks that Antonio Gibson has improved a lot. John Kime, in a story on ESPN, talked about Gibson, talked about a lot of attention on Wentz, but that the running back position is going to have a lot of attention to it, paid attention to, uh, to it as well. And he said about Gibson, he lowered his body fat from 18% to less than 12% in the offseason, that he's had a great offseason work-wise, and it should add even more explosiveness. That's a big, I mean, that's, that's lowering your body fat by a third. Even I can do that math. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. And, yes, it is. And maybe it was the drafting of a running back in the third round, or maybe they told him you've got you know, you, to get in better shape. You know, he, he did miss games because of injuries, and you got to protect the ball. But this is one of the guys, as we talk about receivers and quarterbacks, Gibson could end up being, I'm not exaggerating here for the purposes of, you know, trying to create content on the day before training camp. I think Antonio Gibson has the potential to be the most dominant offensive player on this team and a real star at the position. I could see that. I could see that. But in order for him to do that, He's going to need a good offensive line, uh, a line that lost their best lineman in the offseason. I mean, we don't really know how good the offensive line is going to be. So no matter how much body fat uh, Gibson lost, uh, he's going to need the fat in front of him to pave the way. Yeah, and, um, you know, we, we talked yesterday about the reporting from J.P. Finley about who's going to start, you know, the season on the pup list or training camp. And one of the concerns, and we really hadn't heard this as a serious concern, is center Chase Ruye. The fact that, you know, that they're concerned about his availability, that he's going to start it on pup list and that, you know, he's one of those players that may not be available. And you've already got two new guards. So your whole interior of the offensive line for the opener against Jacksonville could be three players that are brand new. Now, they played five centers last year, so somebody's going to play that played some last year. But the the bottom line is the offensive line, with the exception of Cosme and Leno Jr., um, is brand new. Now, if you believe the people out there, their offensive line coach, Matsko, is perhaps their best position coach of all of them. But anyway... Um, so I have a question for you. Yes, sir. What's the biggest storyline heading into training camp? Number one. You know, I would say Carson Wentz. That's it. But, but I don't think there's anything he can do in training camp to change his, his status. True. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be in the season, when if there's going to be a change that affects him, it's going to happen, not in training camp, not in preseason. So while he is the biggest story going into training camp, there's little he can do to really change the, the plan for him to be the quarterback and to, you know, to, to establish himself. So it's kind of a strange situation. He's the biggest story, 
but the story's not really going to change. Unless we hear, unless, you know, the two preseason games, like you said, you want to see your quarterback out there in preseason games throwing the ball. You know, like you talked about how Brady and the Patriots would, you know, like Brady would throw the ball like 18 times and a half uh, sometimes in, in preseason. Uh, if they don't do that with Carson Wentz, that's cause for concern. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know because they haven't approached their preseason games that way with anybody, um, including Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick threw that much at all in the preseason, if my memory serves me correctly. You're right. There's no. There's as far as like Carson Wentz being the major story in training camp. It's not because like there's a, a, a competition. You know, he's the starting quarterback against Jacksonville and for 17 games unless something really goes wrong or he gets hurt. But I think in terms of what gets discussed, I mean, every single day at camp, we're going to hear about how Carson Wentz threw in 7-on-7, how he threw in 11-on-11, the throw that he made, the back shoulder throw that he made, Tommy, in 7-on-7 to Cole Turner in the back of the end zone. Uh, what I mean, what a perfect throw. And how about the comeback to Terry McLaurin? That ball last year would have never been there on time. You know, with Heineke, that ball was zipped, was on time. McLaurin caught it in stride, turned, and, you know, was out of his break. I mean, we're going to hear all that. I mean, and none of it's going to matter until they start playing real games. I think most of you do understand that. But this is what we're going to hear about the most every day is Carson Wentz and what he looks like and how he's adapting to the scheme and what he says about his receivers and what the receivers say about him and what Ron Rivera says about the kind of day that Ron, that he had what Scott when when Scott Turner talks you know how much of the offense do you have in how's Carson doing it's going to Tommy this whole season is a referendum on Carson Wentz and by extension really on Ron Rivera and this organization's decision to trade for Carson Wentz and to talk yes. up this season because they have Carson Wentz. It's 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 yes, it, the, it is. Yeah. I would agree, but that's not a referendum that that is is going to be on display at training camp. Even though you're right, we'll hear every little thing about Carson Wentz. I'm kind of curious how much we'll we'll hear. Look, we know Taylor Heineke is a known commodity, okay? Everyone has pretty much an idea of what what they think of Taylor Heineke. But it's always the unknown that jacks people up, especially in in training camp and preseason. So how much will we hear how great Sam Howe looks in uh that's his name, right? Sam Howe? That's him. Okay. In in in, in practice. You know, the the big arm, the big the big kid from North Carolina with the big arm. How infatuated I mean he's a third string quarterback, so he's not gonna get you know, a, a whole lot of play, but I'll bet you you see a lot of that, particularly if he looks good, uh, because he's the uncertain factor. And oh. people love the unknown. God, you you want this so badly. <laughs> you want <laughs> you you want him in the preseason opener against Carolina to come in in the second half and go fourteen of fifteen with three touchdowns and two hundred and three yards and a half. You so want that desperately. Well, see, I just know what's happened here before. I mean, it's hard to ignore, you know? And, uh, again, I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought that with Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. 
I mean, even, you know, all we knew about Tara Heineke then was the one playoff game against Tampa, which was impressive, but I didn't think he was going to be a starting quarterback. I mean, it, Ryan Fitzpatrick, there was nothing other than Ryan Fitzpatrick being the starter last year. It's different with, with Carson Wentz, even though Carson Wentz should, should have a bigger profile than Ryan Fitzpatrick did. You know, I think um, preseason football in this time of the year, I think fans are just much more sophisticated than maybe they, they used to be because there, are, there were definitely um, people who would get duped by preseason discussion or preseason game performances and become convinced, you know, as an example, that Sam Howell should be starting the opener because of what he did against the Chiefs in the second preseason game versus what Carson Wentz did. Um, I, I don't. Th- I think most NFL fans really do understand how ridiculous that is now to really, you know, take a lot of what you see in preseason games, and it's much more important. And I've said this before: what you're hearing from the coaches after these training camp practices, you know, and whether or not you can read between b- between the lines. And with Ron Rivera, you don't even really have to because he talks a lot. And he says a lot. And what teammates say and what the players themselves say and what the coordinators say. Because we don't know. I mean, these plans in preseason games aren't plans to win games. You know, they're plans to work on things and to get people work and to evaluate players. And um, But but if you start the regular season 0-3 and Carson Wentz has nine interceptions – and just three touchdowns in the first three games, then people will hearken back to, well, remember how well Sam Howell played in the preseason? You might get that at that point. That's a bit extreme. Three touchdowns, nine interceptions in three games. Well, that's what it's going to take to get them to admit that they were wrong if they end up being wrong. I'm not saying they're going to be wrong. I'm just saying it's going to have to, it's going to, have to be a, – it won't be three games either. We're talking about – you know, you got to be like four and ten. That's fourteen games with three left. Completely out of it. I don't think you do. Well, what do you think? You I, do? I don't think it's going to have to. I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's going to have to be that extreme. Again, it depends on what the conversation is. Not only in in the in the stands with with the commanders focus group, but also in the locker room. <laughs> What's the conversation going to be? You know, I don't think it has to have to have an extreme example on the field in order to pressure a change. Can can you imagine? One o'clock, September 11th, FedEx Field in North Englewood, Maryland. The Washington Commanders are holding a focus group. Uh, You will be able to come into the stadium. You'll be able to watch the game. You'll get free beer and free hot dogs. uh, But you will be asked a few questions at halftime. Um, God almighty. That's what it's been reduced to. Uh, I think they'll have a decent crowd there up there. Well, they probably will. Mm-hmm. I mean, they should, right? Yeah. What else do people have to do the first Sunday in September I mean, or whenever it is? It's Jacksonville. It's not Dallas. Um, but, and it's not the Chargers from last year with Justin Herbert coming in here. But, um... Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I think you know. I think they'll have a decent crowd. And you know, the truth is, last year, even early in the year, people were still not willing. A lot of people to go to large gatherings. 
You know, you still yes. had some of that this time yes, last that's year. True. Um, yes. So I, I did want to just read to you. Did you read the athletics evaluation of all these quarterbacks and read the stuff on Carson Wentz? Because if you've already read it, I read it you, yesterday on the. Yeah, I read it. Okay. I read it, and I also pointed out on the on Twitter because I, I tweeted the article out that both Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield are ranked ahead of Carson Wentz, two quarterbacks that this team could have had for probably less than what they got, what they paid for Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, neither one of them excites me, but, you know, Carson Wentz didn't really excite me. But I do think Carson Wentz's upside is bigger, like if he were to reach where he was in 2017 and get back to that trajectory. I thought that the most interesting comment about him was the comment where um, it was a uh, defensive coach who said, you know, I, I'm going to shorten it up because it was a long quote um, that, you know, after they won the Super Bowl and it was Nick Foles who won the Super Bowl, but obviously Wentz set them up in the regular season to have home field advantage yes. throughout. He said, you know, the Eagles were like, we've got it figured out. And the the defensive coach said, I don't know that he, as in Carson Wentz, had it figured out. I don't know that he has gone through that process and understood how to be a professional, how to make himself better. He just thought it would happen, or he thought it just happened. I just don't think the kid ever looked internally and said, it's my fault, I have to do this better, I have to prepare differently, closed quote. That's a telling quote, and I'm not saying that all of these people that spoke anonymously for this athletic ranking of all the quarterbacks, that they're right. I mean, the Lamar Jackson comments are ridiculous, which I'll get to here in a moment. Um, but, you know, this is kind of what you heard a little bit about in Philadelphia, which is why they were willing to move on, especially the, the part where I don't think the kid ever looked internally and said, it's my fault. I have to do this better. Remember, what we heard about the Philadelphia thing is he never thought it was his fault, and it made him difficult to coach. Right. And then, you know, just the part uh, from one of the people that weighed in about the Colts thing saying they act, they were telling us they b- trading him without having a fallback answer because they didn't have Matt Ryan as an answer at that point. Quote, they were telling us they would prefer anyone over him. You know, and to say that, uh, and, you know, the guy goes on and on about his evaluation and clearly the Colts trading him without having an answer for him after he threw 27 touchdown passes and seven interceptions is really quite remarkable. You know, we said it at the time. I mean, who does that? Well, they did. And, you know, a lot of people blame it on Ursa. I know that. But, I mean, how many coaches and general managers uh, would just go along with something like that? Right. I mean, it was such a dramatic dramatic move that to not to not kick up a fuss about it and for it to leak out somehow i mean it's 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 very telling as well well it's it's also um it's 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 not just that they went along with it in the case of ballard the general manager he was publicly very critical of wentz yes yes he was 
I, I wanted to just real quickly get to a, a comment on Lamar Jackson that has gotten a lot of run over the last day since this list came out. I think people love lists this time of year, and we'll continue to get lists until you know the, the preseason's over. But this one includes more anonymous quotes from people on the inside in the league than any of these lists do. Uh, Sando does a great job with this thing, and not only having so many people involved in voting on this and then tiering the quarterbacks and putting them in order, but getting a lot of thoughts from people inside the league. And this quote about Lamar Jackson is probably the quote that's gotten the most run since this list came out. This is from a a defensive coordinator in the NFL. Quote, if he has to pass to win the game, they ain't winning the game. He's so unique as an athlete, and he's a really good football player, but I don't care if he wins the league MVP 12 times. I don't think he'll ever be a Tier 1 guy as a quarterback. He'll be a Tier 1 football player, but not as a quarterback. So many games come down to two-minute, and that's why they have a hard time advancing even when they are good on defense. Playoffs are tight. You have to be able to throw the ball, and he is just so inconsistent throwing the ball. It is hit or miss. Closed quote. So let me just say this. Some of what he said is partially true, if not totally true. But to exaggerate to say that I don't care if he wins the league MVP 12 times, I don't think he'll ever be a Tier 1 quarterback. I would like to explain to that defensive coordinator, whomever he is, some people think it might be JDR, um, whomever that defensive coordinator is, that if you win the MVP 12 times, you are a Tier 1 quarterback. Like, you're an idiot if you don't think a guy that wins an MVP as a quarterback 12 times is a Tier 1 quarterback. By definition, if he wins it two times, he's a Tier 1 quarterback. Certainly 12 times. But he's yeah. not But he's not wrong I mean, that, about that, the throwing the football with him. Uh, I guess not. I mean, my, my uh, recollections of him in uh, closing moments of games throwing the ball uh, are not necessarily the same as what he says. I mean, I don't know what the numbers say. But, I mean, you know, I have visions in my mind of him leading comebacks in games with his arm. You know, not just with with his leg. You're not wrong about so, that. There have uh, been some games where he's done that, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I remember him doing that. Like I said, I don't know how the numbers break down, but you know, there's there's a segment of the Ravens fan base that is just is tired of him because he, because of his post. But this is a this is a fan base that's used to postseason success on some level, right? Particularly from the quarterback that he took over for, right? Like you've said, in Joe Flacco. And uh, I think that has soured some of the fans a little bit in Baltimore on him. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and the whole holdout thing and, and, and stuff, I think there, there's a growing impatience with him uh, moving forward. Uh, again, that said, uh, I think he, uh, he could play quarterback for my team anytime. Okay. Yeah, and just so, uh, like, you know, I always, whenever I bring up Flacco, I can always feel um, and envision the eye rolls um, from people listening 
Joe Flacco, uh, in his six years as a starting quarterback for the Ravens, was 10-5 and five in the postseason as a starter. 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Um, and really, if you take out the first two years um, where he did struggle and they relied a lot more on the rest of the team, uh, from that point forward, uh, he was a killer in the postseason as a quarterback. And he was a New England killer. They should have beaten New England four times in the postseason. He beat them twice. You know, he beat them uh, in an AFC championship game. Um, he beat them in uh, a wild card game. He lost twice to the Patriots where his kicker shanked a field goal um, once uh, after the receiver, number 11, whose name uh, escapes me, dropped the game-winning touchdown pass. And then they were up big in another game where Ray Rice had a couple of big fumbles. So, um, he, you know, he, he was a guy that, for whatever reason, Belichick could not figure out. I mean, he had great games against the Patriots in the postseason. But anyway, um, back to Lamar Jackson. You're right. There are moments where he's done it with his arm in some clutch situations, but his playoff record is one in three. He's averaged 6.6 yards per pass attempt in the postseason, four touchdowns, seven turnovers in those games for a franchise, like you said, that expects more in the postseason. Now, I think personally, you can play football this way. You can certainly play football this way with Lamar Jackson. His regular season record is 37-12 and 12 as a starter. They went to the playoffs his first three years, didn't last year because he was injured. He missed five starts last year. He was still 7-5 and five as a starter last year, and they likely would have been a playoff team uh, had um, – had he, uh, had he remained healthy. By the way, the injury thing is a big part of what Baltimore's wrestling with in terms of a contract extension because of the way he plays and the way they've designed their offense for it to run with him. He may be a guy that's going to have a shortened career. But what I was going to say is this. You can win Super Bowls as a front runner. You don't have not every Super Bowl comes run has three close games that requires the quarterback to you know have three game winning drives with his arm. There have been lots of front runners that have just cakewalked through the postseason without being tested. I mean, Mark Rippon wasn't tested in a playoff game. Um, you know, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Phil Sims wasn't uh, uh, tested in a playoff game. The Bears and Jim McMahon were never tested in a playoff game. You've had plenty of front runners, front running teams over the years. You know, smear people on the way to a title. You know, and never be in jeopardy of losing a game. That can happen, and they, I think, are one of those teams where they do have the ability to front-run to get out in the lead with him and you know, not ever put it on him at the end of a game. So to suggest that they'll never win in the postseason with him I think is wrong. I think you keep getting back there, you know, winning three-fourths of your regular season games and going to the playoffs regularly. One of these years, I think – you know, there's a chance he'll break through, and it might require them to front run, the, you know, front run their way through it. That may be true, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I 
And let's remember, last year, they lost their two top running backs. Bro, they lost more than that. I, mean, I think they lost three all in the yeah. preseason. Yeah, they lost Dobbins and they lost Edwards. Two standout running backs. Now, I mean, that's just average running back. Right. Terrific running backs. And then they still, going into this season, they still don't have an elite wide receiver. And he's never had an elite wide receiver to play with. Well, that's part of the problem, though, that people will tell you that elite wide receivers don't want to play there. He's got a great tight end. That's I mean, true. they have a great tight end. But in Ho- and, and they have look, a couple of great tight ends. Yeah, and Hollywood Brown, you know, is gone and, you know, has said all the right things, by the way. But there have been suggestions that they've, you know, had issues attracting big time wideouts because they're not a, a great, you know, he's not a, 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 a consistent thrower of the football. Now, Bateman, who they drafted last year in the first round, you know, this is a big year for him. Um, but, yeah, no, they Mark Andrews is, is, you know, he's a step below the Kelsey level, but he is one hell of a tight end. And if they and were helping... Boyle is right behind them. Their second tight end is right there as well. If, you, if, Boyle. if their running backs had been healthy last year and if he had been healthy, they would have been in the postseason again. I mean... Yes. Give me the choice of saying no to Lamar Jackson as a Washington fan. I mean, seriously. I mean, I and now what's what's interesting is is and this is the whole backup quarterback thing that people fall in love with. There are some Raven fans I know that would just as soon see Tyler Hundley be the quarterback of the team. Oh God. He played he yeah. he played well last year, but not good enough. He yes, could, he did. Couldn't get him to the postseason. You yeah. know, wh- wh- no, he didn't. But, but let me uh, see what his record they was saw last enough. year. Starter. Huh? They saw enough, and and again, the frustration level with Lamar, and I'll bet you the front office is frustrated with him as well. I mean, because you're not dealing with an agent, you're not dealing with a typical business situation. It's it's the family that's negotiating for Lamar. It is one of the more interesting contract situations. I can think of in recent memory with with a high profile player like him. He has no representation. He represents himself. At one, at one moment, he's saying, "I haven't earned it yet. I want to earn it." At the next the next moment, he's saying, "You know, I need top of the the market money." The Ravens are in this you know boat of not dealing with an agent and having to deal with him, which means you got to tell him what your concerns are. And sometimes you know that's a tough conversation to have directly yes. with the player. Without you know an intermediary, because yeah. the agent's not going to tell you that they said, you know he's got to get better throwing the football. And oh, by the way, we're worried he's going to get hurt, which is why we're not going to give him yeah. the fifty million a year. We're only going to give him forty million a year. Um, but Tyler Huntley last year was one in three as a starter in the games that he that um, that Jackson didn't play in. Three touchdowns, four interceptions, forty nine QBR. But I liked Ty- I, I thought Tyler Huntley was pretty competitive back there for them. But no, he's not Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's really a unique, special player. I mean, uh, a, a, a totally healthy. If they're healthy, they're going to win. They're going to win ten or eleven or twelve games again and be in the postseason. Probably. All right. Uh, let's finish up with some Juan Soto stuff and some other stuff, including um, a story out there about another star player that the Wizards are interested in and have reached out to a team about. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This Saturday night, Amanda Nunez in a rematch with Juliana Pena. The last time they met, it was one of the greatest title upsets in UFC history. And underdog bettors made an absolute killing. Tommy, I love when underdogs come home, especially big underdogs. <laughs> UFC 277 is Saturday night, just a few days away. And if you're still on the fence about where to play, make your next bet with my bookie. Uh, I think a lot of people might be laying money on Amanda Nunez to knock out Pena because she's hungry and she wants that belt back. She's got the power to put her away. Uh, you might like the value in this particular line. You can take the advice from whomever you want to take advice from, but if you're going to play this fight, if you're going to play anything with UFC 277, go to my bookie at mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. They'll give you all the fight and all of the UFC 277 action you need. Use my promo code KevinDC to grab yourself a deposit bonus with my bookie and make your bets now. That's promo code Kevin DC for a half deposit match up to a thousand dollars. And we want to know who you're betting on at my bookie. Send us an email, send us some comments via Twitter, send us some screenshots of your bets through my bookie. Uh, you can do that at Tom Lavero or at Kevin Sheehan DC. Um, there was this story, uh, yesterday by Shams uh, Charania of The Athletic. He wrote that the Wizards have reached out to Utah about Donovan Mitchell. Now, there are a lot of teams that have expressed interest about Mitchell. Miami, Toronto, Charlotte, Sacramento, Atlanta. But Washington is one of those teams. He's a three-time All-Star. He's only 25 years old. Utah is basically blowing it all up. Um, out there. They traded Rudy Gobert to Minnesota. Um, they traded Royce O'Neal to the Nets, and now they're looking to unload Donovan Mitchell, who's a really good player. I mean, he's an unbelievable player. Now, some of you might say, well, they basically play the same position, he and Beal. I don't think so, necessarily. Mitchell's much more of a scoring point guard than Beal is. I think it would be really interesting to see the two of them in the backcourt together, and I actually think that they would be a good team. Would they be a contender with Mitchell like they would be with Durant? No, but um, I like Donovan Mitchell. I think he can really play. Uh, I doubt the Wizards will be the team to land him, but I do like, at least based on the reporting, that they're not sitting back with what they have, thinking that Kevin Durant isn't worth going after. Of course he is. 
every team that isn't an absolute 100% title contender should be going after Kevin Durant. Uh, in Donovan Mitchell, that backcourt of him and Beal would be an upgrade over what they are right now. No matter really what they have to give up, what they what they'd have to give up. Um, Durant, by the way, to Boston would be incredible. I mean, that talk is still out there. But uh, Donovan Mitchell and the Wizards linked through uh, Shams Charania from The Athletic. Uh, I think they, the Wizards would definitely be a better team with Donovan Mitchell uh, on the roster. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would love for them if Brooklyn continues to you know, basically uh, run into a brick wall and trying to trade Kevin Durant. I just think the Wizards should go to them and say, take your choice of anything and everything on our roster, and we'll take them. Now, Bradley Beal has the no-trade clause, so he wouldn't be available. And trade him the next 10 years worth of first-round picks if you have to do that. Um, that's what Utah is going to be looking for. They're going to be looking for a lot of picks. And the Wizards pick next year, just a reminder, is lottery-protected because that was the pick that went with John Wall to Houston for Russell Westbrook, and it's lottery-protected this year. But if you got Durant or if you got Donovan Mitchell, more likely than not you're going to be in the postseason. So it would be next year's first-round pick. So what do you make of some of the reporting around Soto to the Cardinals? Have you followed any of that or not? A little bit. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got to August 2nd is the trading deadline. Uh, I, I find it hard to believe that the Dodgers will take a big run at this uh, because the, the Dodgers seem to want to basically get every uh, great player in, in, there is in MLB. Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen with him. I still think that the best thing for the Nationals is to trade him before the deadline because I think his value goes down. Uh, once this season is over, not down dramatically, but he's not as valuable as he is right now at this moment. Um, John Heyman and then CBS Sports's R.J. Anderson reported the Cardinals' interest—a deal that would include potentially Patrick Corbin. Um, they apparently have a better group of players to offer. Uh, there's a power-hitting rookie infielder, Nolan Gorman. The top prospect in the Cardinals' farm system is Jordan Walker. Um, their team-controlled outfielders, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, and Harrison Bader. Apparently, uh, the Nats would be looking for all five of those players and maybe more um, as well. They've kind of emerged as the front runner. I mean, every list now has the Cardinals near the top. Meantime, by the way, last night, they were chanting – future Dodger when Juan Soto was up in L.A. And then, by the way, he belted a a big-time hit, uh, an RBI triple Triple. in the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, which which they won. They they beat the Dodgers. But, look, I mean, if they can get that deal from the Cardinals and get rid of Corbin's contract at the same time, uh, that's pretty good. I mean, I think... Attaching Corbin's contract to the Juan Soto deal <clears throat> is dangerous. I think they should try to get the most value they can uh, for Soto, and I think asking a team to take Corbin will diminish the value that you're going to get. It, it complicates the, uh, the you know the issue. I understand why they're doing it, 
because I think he's, they still own $60 million, and there's no indication he's, he's going to be close to the pitcher he was in 2019. Uh, but uh, I just think it muddies the water. I wouldn't trade him. I think it's a separate thing, and I, 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 I figure out my Patrick Corbin issue separately from my Juan Soto issue. I wouldn't trade him. Who? Juan Soto. Really? No. I'm not trading Why not? because he's the best player that's ever played for the organization. Uh-huh. And he'll be the but best. But he's not going to sign here. And he'll be the best player that ever played for the organization if you trade him. But I, he's I, not going to sign here. I'm he's gonna, he's uh, not going to sign here or anywhere. I get him for two and a half years, and I have two and a half years to try to convince him to sign here. That's what I'm well, doing. That's, that's that, what that's, I would do. That's a waste of time. Okay. I, I'm I'm not saying that the other side isn't, you know, a worthy argument. I just I'm telling you what I would do. If if it were okay. me, I would not trade him, and I would continue to try to become as the new owner of the team, his best friend, and create the best possible situation. And hope, by the way, that next year we're not 35 games under 500. You told me before this season started, you expected this team to be more competitive. I know that there have been injuries, and but they're the worst team in baseball by a lot right now. Nobody yes, expected and, and, this. And again, again, there's a new ownership coming in. That That's a wild card. We don't know how willing a new owner will be after spending $2.5 billion to buy a team. They could be Steve Cohen willing, or they could be Miami Marlins unwilling. We don't know. I just envision a day where those five uh, players that you got from the Cardinals produced no playoffs, weren't very good, and Juan Soto has one of the all-time great Hall of Fame careers. I think I'd just rather have him for two and a half more years and just try my best to convince him. I, I, I just... It's always a risk. It's always a risk when you're trading for prospecting young players that they don't pan out, obviously. But... Uh... You know, they let Bryce Harper walk for nothing. I know. Uh, pretty much. And uh, unless you trade Juan Soto, the same thing's going to happen to him. And if you trade him in his walk year, you're going to get pretty much nothing for him. For a half a year of rental, nothing. I mean, you literally not only have had in the organization here two absolute lock Hall of Fame players – but two incredible personalities as well. I mean, like yes. draws, like major draws in your organization. And ten I years. I don't know about major draws. I'm skeptical of that. Okay. Well, compared to a lot of superstars, Juan Soto is a personality. Bryce Harper is a personality. Yes. Yes, right? I they, agree. They, 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 I agree. They make your team more interesting when they're on. Yes. And, oh, by the way, they're Lock Hall of Famers. So, 10, 15 years. Oh, I wouldn't year, go that far fi- Oh, you wouldn't? No, what if, what if Juan Soto gets hurt? Well, okay. Other than that, wouldn't you say that the chances are like 99.5% that he's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day? If he stays healthy, yeah. Is Bryce Harper already in the Hall of Fame, two MVPs? No. What, what else do you need to see from him? Look at Bryce Harper's career stats. (laughs) 
He's got two MVPs, and by the way, was having a hell of a year this year before he got injured as a DH. I mean, you would have had to, we would have had to have conversations about whether or not a DH could win the MVP because he was going to be in the running. Jonathan Papelbon doesn't think he's a Hall of Famer. No, he doesn't. <laughs> 282 home runs, a 281 batting average. No, he's not a Hall of Famer. Two MVPs. Still not a Hall of Famer yet. He will be, but he's not. So right now, if Bryce Harper had a career-ending injury, he'd be on the ballot, though, wouldn't he? Yes. Do you think he would be a Hall of Famer? Do you think he'd get voted in? You're telling you know, me as a voter what Kirby, you would vote. There could be, there could be the Kirby Puckett thing where you know Kirby Puckett's career ended early, uh, but he was so good when he played. Uh, you know, he uh, wound up getting voted in, uh, but he had played longer than Bryce Harper, and also uh, much more likable than Bryce Harper is too. Isn't it turns it? out Kirby Puckett was not a good guy, as we found out later on. Right. But when he played, everybody loved Kirby Puckett. Isn't it amazing that he's 29 years old already, Bryce Harper? I know. I know. All right, you got anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. All right. I got the beach waiting for me. All right, we're done for the day. Uh, Have a good day out on the beach, Tommy. Okay, buddy. I'll see you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.